Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you would, to Colossians chapter 2. As we finish out this second chapter in the book of Colossians. Uh, Several weeks ago, we started looking at Colossians uh, when we went into the limited, well, actually the no attendance mode with uh, the coronavirus epidemic and uh, pandemic and whatever it's called, lockdown, house arrest, whatever you want to call it. Uh, But we started looking at at, uh, Colossians. I knew that in this time, we would not be able to finish Colossians. And someone said to me this past week, it was just fitting. You didn't finish Romans either. But uh, I guess so. This is going to be the end of the Colossians. We're doing chapters 1 and 2, which is the doctrinal section. And then there's the practical section that we'll allude to today. But we won't really do a full exposition of it because of just time restraints. But I do want us to think about what the Apostle Paul is saying here, beginning in verse 16. Because he's talking about legalism. Last week, if you recall, he talked about don't be led astray by vain philosophy, by human philosophy, by ideas that have nothing to do with Christ. Those that are rooted in the elemental principles of the world, those that are rooted in in things that do not really matter, don't get caught up by those, but rather look only to philosophy, and philosophy, phileo, and logos, meaning the love of, or the, the, uh, it's not logos, Sophia, logos, Sophia, Uh, the love of knowledge, the love of wisdom. And and the love of wisdom is good in the Christian life. And so Paul is saying there, don't get caught up in the love of wisdom that comes from the world and things that are not about Christ, but, but follow Christ. Christ will give you a philosophy of life. Christ will give you an understanding of life. Christ will give you an understanding of the world. But be sure that it is focused and Christiocentric in everything that you do. That is so vitally important. Don't be led astray. Today he wants to talk about not letting anybody disqualify you by legalism. Not just by philosophy, that is the thinking, but by legalism, which is a way of trying to act out or live out certain things. Listen to what he says, beginning in verse 16. Therefore, of course that therefore just refers back to what he's already talked about. He's saying this is not, I'm not starting something new here. This is all connected. It's all important. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going into detail about visions and puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, things he talked about last week, Why, as if you were still alive to the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in Stopping the indulgence 
of the flesh. Now, the Apostle Paul here is talking about, as he was talking about last week, don't fall trap, don't fall into the trap of something that will be along the lines of Christ plus, Christianity plus, grace plus, faith plus. Don't fall into the trap of anything being presented to be able to make you a better believer, a better Christian, just because it sounds like it's somehow holier than anybody else. He's saying here, you be sure you hold fast to the head. You be sure you hold fast to Christ. You be sure you hold fast to the Word, the Word of God, both the living Word, Jesus Christ, and the written Word, His Word to us, the Bible. Paul says it's important that you not let anyone pass judgment on you and you not let anyone disqualify you because of their idea of what religion ought to be, their idea of what faith ought to be. Uh, if you've known me very long, you know of my great love for the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Uh, Screwtape Letters is a, a set of letters that supposedly were discovered. C.S. Lewis says he can't reveal in the preface that who the, uh, how he got them, how they fell into his hands, but they fell into his hands. And the Screwtape Letters are letters from Screwtape, the chief demon, to Wormwood, his nephew, who is a junior demon. And it's about how to go about taking care of their clients in the world, especially those clients who happen to fall somehow under the, the influence of Christianity and happen to come to faith in Christ. Well, in, in Screwtape letter number 25, uh, Screwtape says to Wormwood this. He said, My dear Wormwood, the real trouble about the set your patient, his patient is the new believer, is living in is that it is merely Christian. They all have individual interest, of course, but the bond remains mere Christianity. What if we want, if men, what we want, if men become Christians at all, is to keep them in a state of mind that I call Christianity and, you know, Christianity and the crisis, Christianity and the new psychology, Christianity and the new order, Christianity and faith healing, Christianity and psychical research, Christianity and vegetarianism, Christianity and spelling reform, and you can go on and on and on with that. If they must be Christians, let them at least be Christians with a difference. Substitute for the faith itself some fashion with a Christian coloring. Work on their horror of the, horror of the same old thing. In other words, get them away from basic Christianity. Get them away from thinking that trusting Christ and walking in Christ and growing in Christ is really all that's necessary. Put a little fashion on the side. Put a little twist to it. Put a little better idea to it that they might be led astray into what Paul is warning about in Colossians chapter 2, being led astray into a legalistic, judgmental attitude. From this passage in Screwtape Letters, we, we learn that it apparently contained elements of legalism, mysticism, and asceticism, which is exactly what the Apostle Paul said here. When Peter O'Brien, in writing his commentary on Colossians, came to this passage we're looking at today, he talked about it being a strong polemical passage. It's a strong teaching passage. It's a strong argumentative passage because he's saying there are those doing this don't let them do it and there's a real passion that comes through his voice and so O'Brien called this section verses 19 through 23 he called it the charter or a charter for Christian freedom Christianity was made to set us free 
Jesus himself said, you shall know the truth himself, and the truth will set you free. Paul talked about throughout his letters, you are free in Christ. You have been given a freedom. Now, that freedom is not a freedom to go out and sin wantonly. That freedom is not a freedom to go out and say, I can do what I want, how I want to do it, and no matter whatever else happens, I will have my way and do my thing. That's not the freedom he's talking about. He's talking about a freedom that is to grow in Christ and to know Christ and a freedom that is to know God by virtue of a relationship with Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about a freedom to now be able to obey Christ and honor Christ and live for Christ's glory and not for our own glory. It is a charter of Christian freedom. But Paul warns, in your Christian freedom, be sure you don't let other elements of man-made religion enter into it and thus take you captive and thus defraud you, indeed thus, thus disqualify you from what God has done and is doing in your life on a daily basis. Several things Paul says here I want you to see. He starts in verses 16 and 17 with a very strong statement. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you on questions of food or drink or in regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. There he gets to the very heart of legalism in verse 16. The very heart of legalism is judging one another. Well, you don't do what I do, or you do things that I don't do, and thus you must not be as good a Christian as I am. You need to get yourself in line with what I am, these legalizers would say. Whether it be uh, the dietary laws of Judaism, which probably Paul has in mind a little bit here, or whether it just be the idea that I know better what is best for you and I'm going to tell you how you must live the Christian life. There, there can be no room for that in that because the heart of legalism is passing judgments on others who do not conform to extra-biblical list of religious practices. Now understand me here. The Bible is very clear that there is a holiness and there is a righteousness and there is a right walking in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says over and over in his letters, Paul does, walk in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. He's not saying living licentiously. He's not saying living with, with every, all constraints off. No, but be sure that you're being constrained by the Word of God. Be sure you're being constrained by the Holy Spirit's application of the Word of your life. Be sure you're not being constrained by somebody else's idea of what religion is all about. Now, we can look at millions of examples of that. That happens every day. We won't go into specific examples because if I give you specific examples, you'll say, oh, that's what he's talking about, and that's all he's talking about. It. No, I, there's a lot to be thought about here when it comes to somebody trying to captivate us and hold us to their standard of self-made, man-made religion. On one hand, the legalists insisted on abstaining from certain kinds of consumption, judging them on whether you drank certain things or ate certain things. Paul deals with that in, in some of his letters about meat that's offered to idols. Paul says there's, there's nothing wrong with the meat. It was offered in a wrong way, but the meat is not defiled by that unless you think you're being defiled by it, and then you ought to abstain from it. In other words, you go to the Word, you look at the Word. What does the Word say about this? Whether he's talking about the Old Testament law, Jesus himself in, in Mark 7, 18 and 19, and then uh, the, the, in the book of Acts in chapter 10 with Peter's vision about clean and unclean, Jesus made clear that he rescinded the dietary laws. He did not 
He did not overthrow the moral law of God. He, did, he said, I came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. But the dietary laws, he said, those are not applicable to you today in, in a real sense of the word. Those are not a religious issue for you today. Now, there may be good reasons why you would avoid eating certain things. I would say don't eat bats uh, that are in a, in a foreign land. You know, that might be a bit dangerous. Scripture does in the dietary laws talk about not eating things like bats, but it's not a religious matter, it's just a health matter in those cases. But, but the truth of the matter is, when, when these people are talking about it, they're saying, no, 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 you're not, you're not doing what we would do or how we would do it, and so you're not as holy or you're not as religious or you're not as Christian as we are. Paul said, you go to the Word, you follow the Word. Don't, don't follow the scrupulous uh, exercises and the scrupulous conf- uh, criticism of false teachers regarding food and drink, which will clearly be a distraction from the gospel, if you allow it to be. The second issue concerned matters of the calendar, calendar observances. Don't let anyone pass judgment on you with regard to festival, a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. You know, those things were important in the Old Covenant. Those things were important not in and of themselves, but they were important because of what they pointed to. And remember, Paul says that. Understand, in verse 17, he said, These are a shadow of the things to come. Spiritual reality belongs to Christ alone. The, the, old, the new moons and the festivals and the feast and the fast and the, and the Sabbath observance, all of those are pointing to something that is yet coming that is far better than any of those. Because he says Christ is the substance. The substance of all these things belongs to Christ. They are wrapped up in Christ. They are fulfilled in Christ. They are, they are magnified in all their glory in Christ. That's why, folks, we're here on Sunday morning worshiping the Lord, but we're not observing the Sabbath. This is not the Sabbath. If we observe the Sabbath, we would be Seventh-day Baptists. We'd be meeting on Saturday, and we'd be trying to somehow carry out the shadow that is only a shadow of the substance to come. Go read the book of Hebrews and find out what the real Sabbath is. you know what that is? It's Christ. Christ is our Sabbath. Christ is our Sabbath rest. Christ is where we find our rest and our completion totally. It's not in any day of the week. If we're in Christ, every day is a Sabbath in one sense of the word because every day is a day that we live in Christ. So Paul says, don't let anyone pass judgment on you by their own legalistic standards of what they think is right or wrong or good, or bad, or legal, or illegal. What he's saying here is, look to the substance. Look to, the, look to Christ, and Christ alone, because that's where all spiritual reality lives. So don't let people pass judgment on you. And, and then he says, don't let them disqualify you. Verse 18, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and, and worship of angels. What in the world does he mean, don't let anybody disqualify you? Well, the word he uses there is a word that, that, that literally means to decide against, such as an umpire would do 
uh, and, and so as rob, the, rob your prize or condemn you in the midst of that. Don't let anybody say to you, you're disqualified, you're not a Christian because you don't do exactly what I do. You don't follow the, the rituals that I follow. You don't go through the things that I go through. You're, you're just disqualified from being a believer. Paul says, I want you to understand something. If you're in Christ, you are qualified. If you are in Christ, no one can disqualify you on that basis. They may try and they may say they do. But Paul says, understand this, they cannot do it. Only in Christ is there reality. It's not in anything else you might try to add. Listen, you're here worshiping and you ought to be here worshiping. But if you're here worshiping because you're afraid that if you don't come to worship, you'll be disqualified from being a believer when you are in Christ, you are using this in a way that the Apostle Paul says, stop it. Stop doing that. Don't come to worship because you're going to feel guilty if you don't come. And somebody might say to you, well, you're not as good a Christian as I am because you didn't show up for worship on Sunday, and I did. Heavens no. Come to worship because this is where as a body we gather together and we share in a life together and we worship together and we lift our hearts and our voices to the Lord together. Come to worship because it's something that you need in growth, not because it's something you feel you got to do in order to keep Jesus happy with you. Come because of Him, not because of a self-made religion. He says, people try to disqualify you by insisting on asceticism. Now, what in the world is asceticism? What are, what are we talking about there when, when we talk about, well, asceticism is kind of a, 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 a ritualistic self-denial in some way. Now, Jesus said, deny yourself. Take up your cross, follow after me, denying yourself. In other words, you're, you're not living for self anymore. You've been crucified with Christ, now you live. You, you deny yourself in, in a very real sense when you come to Christ in the cross. But, but this was sort of a self-flagellation. It's kind of a, a, a punishment of self, a, a hurting of self. Some of the old monasteries did that. Maybe some still do today. I don't know. But they would, they would, they would punish themselves. Luther was bad about that before he discovered justification by faith alone in Christ alone. He, he would go in and hurt himself physically, thinking that somehow he was making himself more holy. He would buffet his body, literally trying to make himself more holy and Paul says that, that's not what we're talking about here. That, that word asceticism translates variously in, in different translations. In some places it's, it's called false humility uh, in the NIV and, and, and the, the Net Bible. It's called, in the NASB, it's called self-abasement, punishing of self. Uh, it, it, it's called pious self-denial in one. And in the, in the Holman translation, it's called ascetic practices. In other words, rituals that you try to go through to hurt yourself, to try to make you more holy. Paul said, that's not going to make you any more holy. That's not going to make you any better. And what about worshiping of angels? Now, now that's, a, that's a problematic statement Paul makes there because we really don't know what he's talking about exactly. 
Whether he's talking about worshiping angels as a part of this, this spiritual hierarchy that many of the, the people in, in Paul's day thought about, that, that you couldn't really get directly to God, and so you had all of these, you had all of these intermediaries who came in between, and you, you prayed to the angels, you talked to the angels, you worshiped the angels, and they passed it on to God. Not a whole lot unlike in our own day the, the worshiping of saints and the praying to saints. Paul, Paul says, don't get disqualified because they say you don't worship the angels right. You could be talking about the worship the angels carry on. And, and so we're kind of sitting back and trying to join in with angelic worship. He said, all of that is just foolishness. Worship Christ. Worship God alone. And no one and no one else. And in verse 19, he simply says this. He said, I want you to know that spiritual growth comes from Christ alone. Spiritual growth comes from Christ alone, nobody else. He says in verse 19, these who are wanting to disqualify you by asceticism and the worship of angels, they go into details about their visions. They're puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. Before I get to the, where spiritual growth comes, I want you to see what he's saying there. These who have a false, self-made religion will try to wow you with their visions. I, I tell you what, when someone comes to me and says, I've had a vision and I need to share with you my vision, I, I say, well, before you do that, show me in this book where it comes from. Show me where it agrees with this. And when they say, well, it's, it's, out, it's separate from that, then I say, I don't want to hear it. And if they say, well, I can show you exactly, it's, it's what Jesus said in John chapter 10. I say, then we don't need your vision. We've got the word. You know, these people want to have visions. They want to, they want to go into great detail about visions and try to convince you they're more spiritual than you because they're asceticism and worship of angels because they've had visions. But they're puffed up. They're proud. They have no reason about them. They are sensuous in their thinking. Paul says avoid those. Because, verse, 12, verse 19 says, spiritual growth comes from Christ alone. Hear this. Not, these people don't hold fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Spiritual growth for any believer at any time, whether it's in Paul's day or the 21st century, Spiritual growth for any and every believer comes through Christ and from Christ. He is the head nourishing the body, knitting the body together. That is the body of Christ and that you're a part of. And, and that's why we do draw our, a lot of our spiritual growth from being connected to the body. Being connected in communion and worship and fellowship and, and study of the Word together. There is that, there's that knitting that God does of this body to strengthen us and grow us in Christ Jesus. It comes from Christ alone and nowhere else. Paul says, these people aren't looking to, the, they're not holding fast to Christ. They're trying to build their own self-made religion. Don't fall for it. 
13 and a half years ago, when Grace Baptist Church became Grace Baptist Church, the, t- the, the name Grace was not by accident. The name Grace was not because we just thought, hey, that sounds really pretty. The name Grace was because we wanted to express not only in our sermons, not only in our teaching in our classes, not only in our relationship to one another, but when people passed by and saw the name of the church on the street, we wanted to emphasize that it is by grace that we are saved. And it is by grace that we are made a body. And it is by grace that we grow by His grace working in us. So he says in verse 20, don't submit yourselves to regulations. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used. They're all gone. You eat something, it's gone. You you drink something, it's it's gone. It, it, It doesn't have any substance, doesn't have any longevity to it or any stick to to it like Christ does. Don't submit to these things. Don't let people hold you in bondage to these things. I know so many Christians that are held in absolute bondage because they are, they're held by some kind of legalistic idea that they must do certain things in order to make God happy. It doesn't mean sanctification is not to be a part of your life. It doesn't mean when when the Apostle Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, don't be drunk with alcohol, he doesn't mean don't get drunk. He does. When he says other places, don't live a life of licentiousness and immorality and sexual misconduct, he does mean that. But that's that's not something that's added on. That's something that Christ says is a part of the holiness that comes when you know Christ. Live by it. Don't submit to the, regu- to the regulations. It's interesting here that Paul almost puts that statement rather than a, a direct, explicit warning. He almost puts it in the form of a question. If with, Christ you've been, if with Christ you've died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive to the world, do you submit to those regulations? There's almost the picture here of Paul just being incredulous over this. It's almost like Paul saying, I don't get it. You've been set free from legalism. You've been set free to live to the glory of God and to love his creation and to love what he's given and to live for his glory before a watching world. Why do you keep submitting? If you've died to those things, why do you still act like you live to them? The argument there is not unlike the argument that he gave in Romans chapter 6 that we saw a year or so ago. When Paul reasons that living in sin is inconsistent with the reality of living in union with Christ. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound all the more? Heavens no, Paul says. How if you've died to sin, can you live in it? How can you practice it? How can you make it a way of of life? He says, you can't do that. If you're alive in union with Christ, sin won't be the pattern of your life. Oh, Yeah, we know. You'll still sin, but it won't be the pattern of your life. When there's a union with Christ, there's a union with his death, burial, and resurrection. Samantha illustrated that just a few moments ago by going through those baptismal waters. That water did nothing. Hear me on this. That water did nothing to save her. 
Samantha professed faith in Christ, and she was saved even before that, but she professed faith in Christ nine weeks ago, maybe ten weeks ago now. And, and, and if she had, thank God she didn't, but if she had died between that time and today when we could have taken her through the water, I want you to know something, she would have been in heaven with Christ. She would have been in the presence of Christ. She would not have been somehow left out because she didn't go through a ritual, didn't go through a rite that we believe is very important in illustrating what has taken place. But it's not the reality. That is a shadow of the reality. That is a picture, a very important, very vital, very vivid picture, but it's a picture of the reality that is in Christ Jesus. The reality of your condition is you have died to these things. Don't let them try to disqualify you because of them, according to human precepts. He goes back to the idea of philosophy again. Human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting a self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. He says, those things can't keep you from sinning. Those things can't keep you from lusting and coveting and hating. They can't do it. They can only make you feel like you're superior to somebody else because they do something you don't or you do something and they don't. It's a matter of not being, don't, don't go for the appearance of wisdom, go for the reality of wisdom. And that reality is in Christ Jesus. And, and so Paul lays out here this, this idea that Christ is all. And it is in Christ alone. It's not by virtue of, it's not by virtue of, of something you do. It's by virtue of what he has done in your life. As a matter of fact, Paul's already answered this question back in chapter 2, verse 3 that we looked at last week. He said in verse 3, he said, In whom, that is in Christ, God's mystery, in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. They're not hidden in asceticism. They're not hidden in worship of angels. They're not hidden in what you eat or what you drink. All wisdom and knowledge are hidden as treasures in Christ Jesus. Here's the key. If you've got Christ, if you're in Christ, you've got it all. You've got it all. You don't need Christ and. Now, wormwood, your own wormwood, might try to convince you that you need Christ and vegetarianism. He'll never convince me of that. That's one area I'm safe in. He, he may convince you that it's, it's, it's Christ and tithing, a, exactly a tithe, and legalistically going there. That's not it. It's not Christ and anything. Then when Paul moves into the practical section in chapter 3, and I'll, I'll close with this, just listen to what he says in those first few verses. If then you have been raised with Christ, and the idea is there since you've been raised with Christ, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Not earthly wisdom, not earthly philosophy, not earthly 
deeds to try to please God. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. This is Ascension Sunday, uh, 2,000 plus years ago. 40 days after the resurrection, he ascended into heaven. And the scripture says he's seated at the right hand of God. He is there interceding on our behalf. Seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death, put to death, therefore, that what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry, because on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. He's saying there are things that are inconsistent with being in Christ. Put those things apart from you, but apart from that, Look to Christ and Christ alone and enjoy what God has given you. Enjoy what God has blessed you with. Enjoy what God has made for your enjoyment. And that is that walk with Christ. Don't be held captive. Folks, if you're in Christ, you have all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Doesn't make you a know-it-all. Doesn't mean you're always right. Unless you're always pointing to Christ and Christ alone. Pray with me, would you? Father, it is so easy to be taken captive by legalism. Many times it's because we've allowed the philosophy of the world to enter our mind, and so we think like the world rather than thinking like Christ. Lord, give us the mind of Christ. We we have it. Lord, help us use it. Help us live in it. Help us think it. Paul wrote to the Philippians and said, Have this mind in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Help us do that, Lord. Lord, your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Your ways are greater than our ways. But Lord, you show us your truth. Help us live in it. Father, as we stand in Christ alone, rather than asceticism, legalism, we'll not be shaken. We'll not be shaken. We'll not be knocked over by wormwood or screw tape or anybody else, any other demon anywhere, anytime. If we stand in Christ alone, we stand on firm ground, indeed, on the only firm ground there is. Give us that, O Lord, we pray. Grant that to us, O Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We're going to stand together and sing, I'll not be shaken. It's appropriate. We stand in Christ, as the psalmist said in Psalm 62, which this song is based on. 
I'll not be shaken. Stand with me as we sing. You be obedient to God in all that He's doing in your life right now as we sing together. Trust in 